Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107, and today we have on a special guest. We have on Knut Melvar from Sanity.io. How are you doing, Knut? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I looked up your title. We've had right. you on here before, so we did a podcast back in 2018. Yeah. Oh, when was that? That was, you know, was like December 2018. Yeah. yeah. Where we talked about Sanity. And back then, I think you had a different title. Now your title is so long. That I, I, I'm just going to read it, but it's really long. So you're the assistant to the regional head of developer relations at Sanity.io. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very particular about my title. So okay. I'm glad yeah. you didn't screw it up. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> now, if this is regional, does that mean that you're just overseeing one of the little fjords in Norway, like a little kind of place there? Or yeah, what kind of region much. are we talking about? Oh, yeah, okay. it's, it's a right. small Norwegian fjord. You haven't heard about it. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have you on here because we want to talk about Sanity.io. We want to give an overview to people who may or may not have heard of it or used it before. We want to find out if anything has changed. So, Canute, if you were out at Guava Berry Spring Bay on Virgin Gorda in the British Virgin Islands, and you were skinny dipping with some girls that you just met, you're having fun, you know, you're swimming around in the ocean and everything, and then your brother sneaks up and he grabs everyone's clothes and he steals them off the rock and he says, I'm only going to give these back to you if you tell me what sanity.io is how would you answer so i think i will roll for charisma uh <laughs> and let's see um okay that's a two that's so, not good yeah uh i guess i'm not getting those clothes back but it's, it has something to do with content and software so is it is it a cms <laughs> what is it yeah. So, yeah. Is it a CMS? That's a, that. That is an interesting question because yeah. if you ask someone at Sanity.io, is it like a head of CMS or a CMS? And we was like, nah, it's no. It, it's a platform for structured content. That is kind of like our way of f- framing it. Isn't um, a CMS a platform for structured content though? Wait a minute. What's yeah, going on? Here? So I guess you could could go into semantics and and so on. But we, we are actually trying to say something with that because we have kind of tried to think about things from the ground up and not just. Re- create kind of like the CMS that you know. So we made a real-time document store that's hosted, put on CDNs and all of that good stuff. And we made a asset pipeline and we spent a lot of time making a fully real-time collaborative content management interface that's open source. You can customize it and, and so on. And we also make a bunch of specifications and tooling and so on around the idea of creating content as data. And that's why we call it a platform, I guess, because it's a lot of things. So let's say I'm let's say I'm used to a traditional CMS where yeah. you know let's say what I do is I go somewhere and I I download a zip archive from somewhere and that that gives me you know maybe it's in PHP maybe it's in Ruby maybe it's in Python you know that gives me my CMS that I'm going to use and then I jump through a lot of hoops to get that up and running in a local dev environment and now I've got my CMS and I would then deploy that to some kind of a server somewhere maybe it's a VPS you know whatever how does the experience differ. That's how I would get started with some of these traditional CMSs. How would the experience differ with Sanity? How would I get started in that kind of scenario? Yeah, so I, I like that kind of like the framing of like bringing it down to the practicals. So I would say uh, like there's a bunch of things you don't have to do. Everything that has to do with kind of like putting a database somewhere and locally even getting a database running, you don't have to do that. Uh, it's, and, and it's then you get an incompatible version of MySQL yeah, and then it, you got to set this config thing, and you have the tw- M1. Tweak the P- and, P- 
Doctor the PHP, the PHP yeah. INI, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you spent the entire day just yeah. getting the stupid thing up and running, and you still haven't even deployed it anywhere. But tell me how the experience with Sanity Postgres is different. Postgres 14 that you have to upgrade yeah. to, and yeah, right. tell me about it. Right. But but yeah, so the whole data store thing that's just fixed. That that's in the cloud, mm. uh, and I, I guess some uh, some people find that kind of like, oh, I, I want to have my own database. I want to see the the locks and, and all the nitty gritty things. But if you don't need to do that, it can be as well hosted and available everywhere. And the more similar thing, like the Sanity Studio, we call it, that's kind of like your CMS. That's the CMS part of this uh, platform. And that is kind of like a bunch of JavaScript files that you download with the npm command. And then you have kind of like this uh, single page application that you can spin up locally and configure. And once you are you're pleased with it, you can deploy it to our cloud or Netlify or Vercel or wherever hosting uh, hosts uh, HTTP, uh, HTML, JS stuff. It's, it's only so, a web location. So, yeah. Just to make sure that I have this clear, is what would my first step be, though, in this process? Would it be going to sanity.io Wait, and signing up for it. an account first? Yeah. Or? Am I still in the water, by the way? I, I mean, you're kind of getting a little <laughs> wrinkly, you know what I mean? And it's kind of yeah, going to get a little embarrassing. I'm dedicated to the job. But anyway... <laughs> npm install globally sanity cli if you want it uh, or you can push npm init sanity and that will kind of like launch a script in your command line to set up a project download the studio and that's it and that's step one i don't need to sign up for an account yet i don't need to do anything no, you kind of sign up uh, in a in an account during that process. Okay. It ask you to log in to your github or google and, Got it. and then, then you go. Got it. So sanity studio is going to be, I'm trying to make sure I'm framing this right. So Sanity yeah. Studio is going to be my local dev environment. And the actual data store is what Sanity.io is providing for me kind of off in the cloud somewhere. Yeah, you will like this because we, we don't call it a data store or it is a data store. We call it the content lake. So that's the lake you're skinny dipping in, I guess. <laughs> oh uh, <my> <laughs> We're skinny dipping in the content lake. Yeah, that's a great title. Oh anyway, my goodness. Yeah, so Santa Studio, it's just a React application. You download that, and that's set up to connect to the hosted database through kind of like APIs. And that's it, really. We, we like to see that as just another application connected to your content lake. Uh, you will probably have a website, maybe, or an app. Maybe you have some back office systems you want to sync and augment content with, and so on. So we try to kind of like think, uh, think about this as uh, just another client. So I'm a little confused, though. If the yeah. CMS is is local and yeah. I have to pull it down via NPM. Does that mean that my content authors are yeah. going to have to pull, they're going to have to run some NPM commands before they can edit any of their content? Hopefully not. So this is like, it's it's like when you have one of those good old CMSs, you download the PHP, you set it up and then you push it over an FTP or something mm. and then it's, it will be available for your content people. So it's kind of the same thing here. You just upload the bundle yep. to somewhere that can serve it and there you go. So so the same thing I'm running locally, I would have that same flow yeah. where that could then be hosted. Is is that something that you are potentially doing or care to announce today that you're going to have Sanity hosting where you, there's From a one? From code, you could write Sanity Deploy yeah. and that would uh, compile and bundle the studio and upload it to the sanity.studio domain. And you can choose kind of like your own subdomain to, to host it. And that's so it. If, so if I want, yeah. my hosting is just baked in. I don't have to do any DevOps to do that at all. 
exactly. But if I decide that I want it hosted somewhere else, maybe the client has requirements, it has to be on their cluster, I could then also just take this project and deploy it there and they could log in and edit it there and it doesn't matter. Absolutely. And you could make different configurations of the studio and upload mm. them and have them connect to the same uh, content lake and so on. Interesting. Again, it's, it's just a small spa or not that small, I guess, but it's a spa, a single page application. All right. So that tells yeah. me about the CP, but now what do I do about the front end, the actual site that is going to be displayed for visitors when they come in? Like, like how does that work? Do, is there anything built into it or do I just do whatever I want and treat Sanity as an API? Yeah. So it's the latter. So it's all about APIs, right? Yep. So we have a bunch of ways of getting your content out of the content lake. So there's a query API using your favorite query language, Grok, with or without the L. So Grokle or Grok. Grokle, yep. yeah. There's a GraphQL API. And we have Export API and Listener API and so on and so forth. So if your website can do stuff from an API, you can pretty much use Sanity. So yeah. So you're providing the CP, both for developers and for content authors, and you're providing the, I know you don't like this term, but the data store or the content lake where all the content lives. And you're also potentially providing hosting if people want it. If they just want to type sanity to deploy, up it goes. They can stand something up real quickly that people can check it out. But the front end is a blank canvas that it is do whatever you want. Here's the APIs to pull in the data. It's up to you to do what you want. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So what are popular front ends that people are then using for this? Yeah, I, I bet you have discussed a bunch of these already on this podcast. But the first that comes to mind for many, I think it's Next. Next.js yep. is huge in the React world. Yep. And then you have Gatsby, you have Next, Gully, if you're doing Angular. Some are using weird stuff like Elm and uh, .NET. Yeah, we have pretty much everything. Yeah. But because this is just an API, I could do something really weird. Like I could run PHP somewhere that would then call your APIs to pull it in yeah. and then render it in PHP and spit out the result because it doesn't matter, right? It's just an yeah. API. In fact, if you ask the the official city of Las Vegas something on Alexa, mm-hmm. that content comes from Sanity. So you can even kind of like connect a voice assistant to it. That's really interesting. So essentially, you it sounds like you started with the... <laughs> the lake, okay? So you, you, you've got the, the content lake. You will say that in an ironic way at the end of this podcast. All right. So <laughs> you started with, I'm, I'm going to call it a data store. You, you basically started with a sure. place to store everything. And you you yeah. think of it as analogous to Postgres running in the cloud, but it's a lot more advanced than that, you know, I'm sure. It's, it's basically uh, a bunch of JSON documents that you can query okay. and that can reference to each other for oh, interesting. interesting things. Yeah, Interesting. So you started with that and you said, okay, this is great we've got a place to store stuff, but we need some way for developers to interact with it and for people adding the content to interact with it. So then you built the the CP, but now you said, okay, but whatever you want to do on the front end, that's up to you because it may be a website, but it may be something entirely different. It could be anything. Yeah, exactly. Mobile apps, for instance, there's no no reason any of these things couldn't just communicate with the data store. If it can do a HTTP request, it can fetch some data from uh, from Sandy. Yeah. Now, 
this data store or content lake that you have, is it analogous to the Svalbard global seed vault that you have up in Norway? <laughs> it's like this concrete vault that's in the in the depths of a fjord somewhere in the in a cave in Norway, or, or where is this thing? Yeah, I want. I so I so want to say yes. It's, it's actually Google, or for a moment, it's Google. It's mostly Google, the Google mm. Cloud Network. Right. Uh, we are actually working on making it uh, any cloud network that right. your corporation might might want to have it in. But yeah, it's it's pretty much the cloud. But it makes sense that it could be yeah. anything because you've provided an abstraction layer. So if you switched out the infra from yeah. other, other people's points of view, assuming everything went well, it should just work regardless of yeah. where it is. Yeah, that's the value proposition, right? You shouldn't have to worry about that stuff. That, right. That's for us to worry about. Now, I think one of the big reasons why developers use a CMS to begin with, because there, there are plenty of solutions out there, Laravel, Nodes, any number of solutions that if you want to build something truly custom, you can do that. But yeah. I think one of the big reasons why a lot of for a lot of projects, people use a CMS or CMS-like system is it's very common that you have experts in a particular sphere that may not know a whole lot about computers, but they know their area. And so you want it to be easy for them to be able to edit and enter the content and, and do all that kind of good stuff. I remember when we originally talked, the marketing line for Sanity was structured content done right. Yeah. And now that has morphed to content is data. But what I really want to hear about is what is this content authoring experience like for the average user that comes in there to enter data? Because one of the things that I have noticed with a decent number of node-based CMSs is that they seem very programmer-oriented in that they're mm. really cool for, oh, sweet, the CMS can generate my GraphQL schema for me and my TypeScript types and all that. But sometimes the actual content authoring part of it is not quite what you you would hand off to the average person. So what is the experience like in Sanity? I can tell you how many hours we have spent making sure that if you copy paste from Google Docs into our rich text editor, <laughs> that will actually work. <laughs> Okay. And that says something about the dedication here. Yeah, we have spent a lot of time making sure that uh, Sanity Studio is responsive, that you can mm. like, put it up on your cell and actually do something, right? We spent a lot of time figuring out how... Because like when you do structured content, it's kind of like in its nature that you'll end up with a lot of fields. Yep. That's kind of like the deal. Yeah. That can That's the be structure, a bit, right? <laughs> it's like people who are really into content strategy and kind of like content as a discipline like that, but mm. it can be kind of like a bit tedious Right. Kind of versus just having all the all of it in a blob. So doing how should you show uh, diffs between document versions? Because we are saving almost all of your keystrokes. This mm. is real time system, right? So we have kind of this super fine grained history of your document. How do you actually show that in a good way that isn't a git diff? Because that's horrible. Right. No one wants to deal with a git diff, right? Yeah. Uh, so we spent a lot of time actually figuring that out. <laughs> so you can go into the studio and have custom diffs for what content type it is. So if, if it's an image that has been changed, you will actually see the image before and after. If they've yep. changed the hotspot, there will be an overlay showing how the hotspot changed. Uh -huh. And if you're not satisfied with that way of doing it, you can put it in your own diff component. So that's something okay. that a lot of yeah. CMS systems I use, they don't even have that. They're, they don't even have a revision no. tracking. And if from, they have, it's crappy. Or, yeah, or if they have, it's crappy. <laughs> and it's from revision to revision, and it may not yeah. show fine-grained changes. So that's actually yeah. really interesting. Because I, I do know, I have done some custom work 
for some clients that they wanted kind of like what you're talking about. They wanted final editorial approval of any yeah. changes that were made to their long-term documents for, I, I can't get into the specifics of why, but they, they needed that for very valid reasons. So they needed a flow where they could see exactly who changed and what they changed before they would publish this thing live. It sounds like you've got that nailed. I think so. Um, this also means that our content lake, that is kind of like a document store or data store that has a full attribution history. So it has mm. a full audit log of the document. And that's... Oh, wow. That isn't important for everyone, but for some, that's really important, and it's nice to have that. So I can I can go in and say that, oh, Andrew changed the punctuation inside of the custom object type inside of the rich text last year, and I want to revert exactly that change. Mm. So it's interesting how else you can do with that. So it's like Git blame, but it's sanity blame. You can find yeah. out exactly or who did it. Or brace. I, I like to stay positive, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like exactly like, uh, like that. And that is also interesting because that should remove the huge need for for permissions because then right. you can have trust baked in. You can actually see what people did so people can be accountable. But uh, that's another story. <laughs> but do you have yeah. a permission system? Let, let's say oh, I'm yeah. a horribly distrustful person and yeah. I hear what you're saying, but I don't I, I don't trust people. <laughs> Is there a permission system baked in though? Oh yeah. So okay. what I like with this product that I'm working for is that we try to think deeply about things. So we, when we make a permission system, we want to be like that to be flexible. We want it, you to be able to express what you need. So yep. you can use this Grok query language, for example, to, to make expressions for exactly what documents a certain group should have access to. So you can say, oh, this group should only have access to update uh, documents of the type post or product that has a main image defined, but mm doesn't have a match of sales in the title. That's like a super random example, but it tells you something about the granularity you can go for. It sounds like if it is that granular, it sounds like there must be some code in here somewhere to allow you to express yeah. that. So this is this is the opinionated part of Sanity, I think, because in other CMSs and so on, you're used to going in and drag and drop the content model and fields right. and setting that up. Yep. You can't do that with Sanity. You have yep. to go into code. You have to go in and write these fairly simple JavaScript objects that describe the fields. Mm. So it's it almost as simple as JSON, but it's still JavaScript, so you can do interesting programmatic things. And the reason we did like did it because the content model or the data data model, that should be in the hands of developers. Because mm. if you change that, you change the API. And if you change the API, bad things can happen <laughs> if someone assumes certain shape of that API, right? Yeah, that is very true. And then you can version control your content model and you can uh, do interesting things with automation and so on. Um, so I have questions. I, yeah. So one of the things I want to <laughs> note is, so for instance, Craft CMS has a thing called project config, which is kind of yeah. like the opposite of what you're talking about in that yeah. you lay it out manually and then the project config, it sounds like it's almost, it's not JSON, it's YAML, but it describes the fields. And you're saying, no, 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 we, we have something like that, but it's the other way around. You write it in a simple JavaScript object. I would imagine it's key value pairs with the type and any other restrictions exactly. or you know decorations that you decide you want to add to it. And then that defines your schema. Yeah. You mentioned something about versioning. Is it possible to version the schema the way you can with REST where it's like, this is V1, 
this is v2 and that type of thing yeah this is this is an interesting aspect because since you are making the schemas in the studio you are kind of like just only controlling the forms so the studio is kind of like a like a content mask it kind of like shapes the content coming in from the humans into the sure. content lake the yeah. content lake that's a collection of json documents so it's basically schemaless mm. which interesting. is interesting because you can just import any json document into it and it will be queryable and you don't even have to express it in the studio if you don't want to so yeah okay that's, kind that's of like pretty cool that is pretty cool i like that but i, I want to get back to <laughs> the CMS experience a little bit. Sure. So I understand that we need to, if we want to build our various fields, we need to create a file that defines our schema. And as you mentioned, the, the reason we got to talking about this was talking about the various permission systems. Yeah. It sounds like intermingled in that object somehow, there can be JavaScript code yeah. that will do things like if this, then that, or does whatever the heck it wants to. And that allows you to write infinitely flexible permissions or visibility and access and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Recently, we launched something we call conditional fields. Yep. It's probably the most requested feature we had. Sure. And it's interesting how we did it because we had a hidden property for the field config. It used to take a Boolean, but now it takes... Wait, let me guess. Let me guess. Don't say it. Don't say it. Now it takes a function. Yes, exactly. Nice. <laughs> and that function, the callback function, it has some arguments. It ha has the document. So it has all of the values in the document at the current time. It has the current user. It also has the parent. So you can make these pretty elaborate nested content models in objects with Sanity. So it's nice to just have the parent object that this field is in. And yeah, we are also thinking about making that async. So if you wanted to show or hide fields based on something from an API or another document, that should also be possible. But that's you have to do some performance con considerations here since it's real time. So yeah, And you would need some kind of a suspense or waiting state as it waited yeah, exactly. to know whether it could so, be shown or there's not. Some, yeah. like, again, we care about the offering experience. So yep. we want to make sure that the UI makes sense. I yeah. still want to get back to a little bit more basics about the content <laughs> authoring. So do you have basic fields, right? So what are the major yeah. field types that you are have? We're used to dealing with, I've got a text field, I've got a rich text field, I've got an asset field. They, I assume we have, have all I of think these? we have most of them. We have a, we have some friends over at Stackbit. I don't know if you have heard about that. Stackbit is kind of like a visual page builder for the Jamstack. So they, okay. like they, they stitch together. You can say like, I want a Hugo front end with Sanity as the back end or some unnamed competitors. They told us that we had to kind of look at the content, content modeling opportunities in all the CMSs and you have the superset. You mm. can express all of the other CMSs content models, but not the other way around. Right. And I think that's probably because we have something called the object type and that mm. that is similar to the matrix field in, in craft. So it's and like a repeating... Have, yeah, so so the object type lets you make collections of fields. Uh, so it's a container. Called, it's a container, right? Yeah. And then we also have the array type which is the repeated thing. And you can nest them and interchange and so on. So you can get pretty wild with this. And you can also do the same for block content, the rich text, which is an interesting topic, but uh, you can... No, no, we need to have, get into that yeah. because you mentioned earlier... <laughs> you spent an incredible amount of time allowing yeah. you to paste in Google Docs and Word Docs. And we, everyone as content authors have dealt with this conundrum 
and yeah. developers, I should say, have dealt with this conundrum that you want to give the content authors what they want, but a lot of times what they think they want is just a rich text field that they can dump everything into. Yeah. But then it ends up being this horrendous soup because it's yeah. really hard. There's no structure then to it. Yeah. You have a little bit different of a take on how a rich text field works, right? How does that? What, how is that yeah. different in Sanity? So an early decision was that we never want HTML in the data, in the content. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. HTML, super great for browsers, not so great in databases. Well, and plus, it also APIs. ties your content to the output, and it may not exactly. be yeah. HTML output. Yeah, exactly. So we made a specification called Portable Text. And what that specification does is to express block content, which has become a thing, I think, with Notion and Gutenberg and all of those things. Oh, yeah. As like a JSON format, also in a way that makes it possible for it to be collaborative. So it doesn't try to make sense of all your characters' positions and so on, like some of these specifications does. It's a bit simpler. We have that. And then we have, we don't want people to write JSON. <laughs> No. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> so then we need a user interface, right? And that's the portable text editor, which is built on something called Slate, yep, which I'm is a common rich text editors. That's a hard problem. Yeah. That's so hard. Don't get I know, I, I know, because I remember yeah. back in the day, I'm not going to talk about uh, back in my day, we had to walk you know, uphill <laughs> in the snow and for miles. But yeah. I remember trying to write a word processor a long time ago. And man, it is actually a really hard problem to solve well that scales. It is yeah. not easy. It is it's not, not easy. easy. Making it real time. Yeah. Not easy oh, either. Hold on. You said real yeah. time and collaboration. Are you telling me that two people can be editing the same yeah. rich text field at the same time and they'll lose yeah. some imagine, kind of an indication? Imagine wanting to open a document that mm -hmm. someone else is working in. Yep. And being able to just open it and work alongside them. Like Google Doc will kind of show you like that someone Doc. else is there. Yeah, exactly. You, That's you really have cool. that in all of Sanity. That's really cool. Yeah. It's nice that these are the basic building blocks because then any other field types or whatever that you build, they're going to have the same kind of functionality available yeah. to them, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just to mention quickly, you can also make your own custom inputs and we also provide you with components and APIs that takes the hard parts out. So you get presence and all of that stuff and diffing and so on without having to write a bunch of code for it. Now that leads to my next yeah. question, something I've been wondering about. This all sounds amazing, but it is I'm amazing. a little I, okay. It, not only does it sound amazing, it is amazing. But what if I'm only passingly familiar with you know, like I'm okay at JavaScript? Yeah. Maybe I don't know React and some of these fancy front end frameworks. Am I actually going to be able to set up Sanity and do anything yes. meaningful with it? Yes. So you you don't ever have to touch any React code mm -hmm. to be productive. Okay. You, you you get a pretty long way with the built-in stuff. So Just if you're like able... if you're using a traditional CMS, you can get pretty far without re ever writing your own PHP, probably. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I get it. I wonder, I get it. can you with WordPress? I guess you can. You you can. For a yeah. lot of these things, you know, you just, you install a bunch of plugins yeah. and you do this, that, and the other thing. And you can get pretty far without yeah. doing any custom PHP. Breaks. But you're right that WordPress is probably the worst case for that. But <laughs> I just wanted to, to make it clear, yeah. or I just wanted to understand Sure. How much skill am I going to need at JavaScript to be able to do something with this? It's basically if if you can if you can write a JavaScript object, if you can tag along with you don't strictly have to to import and export of JavaScript object between mm -hmm. files, but it's useful to to be able to do that. If you can do those things, you can get started. Okay, and writing a JavaScript object basically amounts to squiggly bracket 
key value and squiggly bracket. Exactly. Like that's a JavaScript yeah. object. Yeah, and the, not to trivialize it, it's useful to know a bit more, of course, but that is the amount of knowledge. And it's, it's, that is the ethos of, of this product, right? Mm. It should, you should be able to bring your front-end skills and do all of this fancy back-end stuff right. and keep within the same language, which is probably likely to be JavaScript for a lot of people at least. Right. So, yeah. But there's no templating language that comes with this, right? I have nope. to pick my own. But, but yeah. there, you know, there are existing. So for instance, let's you say... To, you get to pick your own. Yeah, right. So let's <laughs> say I know Twig, for instance. Yeah. There are Twig JavaScript packages out there that you can start writing Twig yeah. code in JavaScript. In the, yeah. I think yeah. we even have some Silex Twigs package mm, going yeah. and you can hear on my voice. I haven't used it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there's PHP stuff and so on. Person. And that's the case and so on. Well, it sounds really cool. What a, One other feature that a lot of content authors seem to absolutely love is being able to preview their content. Yeah, being able to say, this one. is what it's going to look like. So they'll, especially with the front end being so divorced from the back end, yeah. they may be entering something, but have no idea how it really looks. So is there, is there a way in Sanity to preview the stuff while you're working on it? There is. I think the whole preview thing is a super interesting topic because it seems to be the holy grail of Headless CMSs nowadays. Like a lot mm. of people spending a lot of time figuring out how to make that happen. Right. Well, Gatsby built a whole service around it. They've got Gatsby yeah. preview. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And until they made it a bit simpler, we had a, the best in, in town when it comes to the preview experience. But anyways, so this is the trade-off, I think, when you don't control both the presentation layer and the backend, as you do with something like Craft and so on. You have to figure out the preview uh, mechanisms yourself. And there's different approaches. Some of the most popular JavaScript frameworks tend to start to have stuff that helps you along. Right. For Next, we made a Next toolkit, which does something interesting. It basically <laughs> imports the whole content lake into the browser cache, which... Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Which it works. Okay. If you have 10,000 documents, it starts to break. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, we have to figure that out. Right. It, it kind of like, it makes a representation of your content like in the browser. And then it can just switch out and rehydrate the, the next React front end. Right. So you can kind of get a true real time preview. And when I say real time, I mean real time, not the pretend real time that a lot of vendors. Where it reloads do. the page. Yeah, and five so seconds real time. It's yeah. almost to the keystroke. And then we have affordances in the studio. We have a system called Pains. So basically, Basically, you have document list that goes on horizontally, and then you have the form, and you can split the form up as much as you want, and you can have different views. So you can have like different previews alongside your form. Mm. It's, it's similar to the live preview thing sure. in Craft, yep. just more flexible, of course. So then you can have the web preview, for example, and you can make custom SEO SERP preview, if you want right. that kind of preview. You can make accessibility preview, whatever that is, anything. So, so you can sort of bake your own preview into it, even yeah. though it might not be exactly what they're going to be seeing? It'll be close enough that it's good for content authors? or Yeah, with something like Gatsby or Next, you can actually just iframe right. the preview site yep. and get the actual thing, right? But, yeah, because uh, I was going to say, a lot of these yeah. services, Gatsby is not alone. They're, Vercel, Netlify, yeah. and a bunch of other places have preview functionality baked in. Exactly. And I would imagine you integrate with those? Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's basically, basically just putting an iframe alongside the form. That's, yeah. that's what Craft does. So yeah. Yeah. That's, what, that's what, well... It's the same 
See what I did there? It's the same yeah. thing to do because you really, it is a separate document and yeah. you really do want that then isolated in a separate iframe. You really, that's really how you would want it to be done. The, the nice thing with Next though is that you don't need any servers. It happens mm. in the client. So it's, it's right. kind of like super, so it, it only looks, are you authenticated? Okay, then I kick into preview mode if you want to. And then you are in preview mode. Super neat. That is really neat. I like that because that in addition to a nice logical layout, and honestly, I think one of the best things you can do for content authors is present to them in context only what they need. Yeah. And that's why the conditional fields are so important because if they pick a particular block or something, I should only see the fields that are relevant to that block and that they should be entering. Yeah. If they see all of the fields, then they they get lost. They're not really sure what should be entered and what shouldn't and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and another thing with preview, I think like the industry, the industry is so page oriented yeah mm -hmm. but think like a modern website yep. your content is spread out all over the place yeah like in preview cards kind of inside of the end user experience and so on so what's nice about the pattern where you have data layer data in memory data layer that just rent hydrates to the front end is that you can have previews across the whole site right it doesn't need to be the article page or whatever you can uh, let's see how this title works on the file last blog post widget right. thing, right? Yeah, and in the real world, we don't always get to start with a clean slate. So maybe we're working with a client that has a existing website, existing infra, and for whatever reason, that can't change. We can't start with a clean slate. But maybe there's this cool React widget that we want yeah. to add to the page. Just that could be powered by Sanity in terms yeah. of the API, and we could have a preview of just that widget in the CP. Yeah, right? it's in, so Sanity is now used by pretty huge corporations. Yeah, Unilever just launched 26 websites using Sanity. Irish Spring. Irish Spring Soap, uh, right? That's them. <laughs> Yeah. The interesting thing is that what a lot of these does is to start small. They start in a corner. Yeah. Like, let's start with the legal stuff. Right. And then they get a feel for it, and then they just switch out part by part. And then so when they develop their own mobile app, the API is there, yeah. the data is there, they can pull it into their mobile app and use it. I, I can definitely see how that would be a pretty compelling thing to do. Yeah, and this seems to be a trend now in the headless CMS space where they try to make page builders and be more visual and so on. And mm -hmm. I think that is, they're kind of going back <laughs> To where we're trying to get from because you end up baking in presentation concerns into the content model like right. as we talked right. about with HTML right yep. and then next time you want to redesign your site or whatever or add that app then it gets hard and yep. icky so we try to be a bit opinionated about that you, yep. you can't totally make a Wix page builder thing with Sanity but you shouldn't and you shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't your editors, time, like content now is so valuable. Right. Why should you spend their time tweaking if it, this should be a green or a yellow thing, hex code, whatever? You should have a design system that just decides uh, that, right? Uh, and then they can focus on content. Can you, you're, I'm, yeah. I'm resisting the urge to go off on a rant. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep it like super I sweet. I, I see this all the time in a variety of CMS systems yeah. where people try to recreate like a little mini Wix in the background where yeah. they, they get to choose, you know, this and I agree with you like really what should be happening and I realize this can't happen for every project because there are budgetary concerns etc sure. etc but really yeah there should be a design system and if they're given things to choose from they should be macro things that have gone through a whole design loop where yeah. developers designers product marketing have all decided what is going to be available I agree man I, I see the and the thing is sometimes clients request this you know, know. They, they're they, they're saying we really want to be able to tweak this exactly 
And it's hard to just tell them, well, honestly, what you should be doing is changing your process because you can still have all of that control, but it should be part of a design loop is really what should be happening as opposed to just Betty Sue gets to go in and to make this headline green 72 pixels. You know what I mean? I'm I'm super empathetic to the uh, our client wants thing, but I also think as web professionals, it's our duty to promote best practices and save our clients money and time and don't lead them astray. I also think that if they're hiring you, if they're hiring you as a professional who presumably knows something about information architecture and design and that kind of thing, if you're just taking all of that and you're giving them a bunch of controls, you're punting a part of your job. You know, you're just saying, I don't know how to design this. You know, you just go do whatever you want to do. And if that is truly what they want to be doing, you should be uh, probably recommending Webflow or something. Agreed. That's an actual tool actually built for that actual things by people who actually are trying to solve that problem. And I've I've seen that happen and I actually recommend Webflow for a number of projects. I mean, again, this is the old saw of the right tool for the job, right? I have seen a number of sites that have gone through that where they had some kind of a content builder made for them and they didn't adopt the kind of design circle flow I'm talking about. They wanted to go in there and directly change stuff and they were constantly frustrated by it. So they switched over to a tool that allowed them to do what they thought they wanted to do. But in a number of instances that I've seen (laughs) that this has happened, it's ended up being a nightmare in terms of the results. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. Let's get back to sanity. Let's return sure. to sanity. Okay. Let, let's. Let, um, I, I apologize for my my tangent there. So the other question I had for you is: and first of all, is it called a CP insanity, or what do you call the back the studio? You call it? Yeah, Santa okay. Studio. Yeah. Okay. I apologize for saying CP earlier. It's showing You're my saying editorial environment a lot for some reason. Editorial environment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to call it the studio from now on. I'm yeah. going to try to anyway. That's... So let's say I'm editing stuff in the studio, but I'm doing something like a form builder on the front end. And it would be really neat if I was able to take some of the existing widgets or and components that Sanity uses in the CP and yeah. throw them on the front end. Is that a yeah. thing that I could do? Yeah, actually, since since last time we spoke, we have done a lot of work. And one of the, th- the things we have done is to make a whole new component system mm. because that's what you do, right? So we have something called Santi UI, Santi IO slash UI. So that's a whole component system. And we are almost finished refactoring the whole studio to it. And you can use that where, mm. wherever. So if you want to, to have an easy going form, then you can use that or anything else. But I guess forms, then you, it's, it's also a matter of describing that content model. Right. Uh, it, it gets a bit meta, but right. it, it's possible. <laughs> So in theory, I might be able to take your rich text editor and throw it on the front end and I would I would see the collaborative stuff going on there or is it we not quite there yet? Uh, not quite there, but this refactoring is part of that that thing. But the interesting thing to me is that these are React components that assuming yeah. you're done refactoring and they're abstracted enough, it doesn't care whether it's rendered in the studio or it's rendered somewhere else. You can just exactly. take the thing and you can just stick it where you want it. Yeah. And that's actually another I, I can <laughs> sympathize with the refactoring you must be doing because that is a difficult thing to make. I know Tailwind called them headless components or something like mm. that. I hate that name. Something like we we already have styled components. Why don't we just yeah. call them styleless components? You know, like yeah. no styles. But it's got to be a difficult task to be able to write these components in a way that someone can bring their own CSS and styling and, and fit yeah, that in. Right? It's got to be a difficult task. I'm I'm awestruck by our design team and the thought that went into that. They've used algorithms to make sure the 
baselines are correct and so on. They went oh, to wow. design school. They also made a Figma library that corresponds mm. directly to the React components. So if you build something in Figma, you can expect it to work exactly the same way. Oh, wow. Which so is that brings like, the designers right into the loop. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned it. So we talked yeah. about almost two years, almost three years ago. My goodness. Yeah, so what have wise. you folks been up to in the last three years? <laughs> have you done nothing? You've just been sitting out there on, in your fjord out in Norway? Or have you guys been busy <laughs> working not. away? Yeah, we have. Yeah. So I, I mentioned a bunch of things that happened to the product on Wednesday. That's two days ago. We we launched something called Grok Powered Webhooks, which is pretty interesting. We can return to that. We also raised a bunch of money in the Silicon Valley. Yeah. And for those um, of you who can't yeah. see, Knut is actually sitting out he's in a mansion essentially yeah, he's sitting there and cool. i see i see yeah. servants walking back and forth yeah, behind him bringing him grapes yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's great but uh <laughs> but yeah when you raise money it's it is because you ha- want to pay salaries to right. a lot of people because you want right. a lot of people to work for you because yep. there's a lot of things to, to do when you're trying to become the platform for, co- for content i guess a good way i've heard it described is that money is like throwing gasoline on a fire it accelerates <laughs> Yeah, what exactly. Doing, you know? yeah. yeah. So we just actually leased an office uh, in San Francisco down on Mission Street. I'm going in November, I think. Oh, wow. Finally. And yeah, we hired. So when I spoke to you, I think we were at under 20. Mm. And now we are closer to 60 people. Wow. And yeah, and we have done a lot of things to the product, like the whole real-time presence, review changes thing, Santi yeah, UI. So if you're, you're, yeah. worse, you're still sitting there skinny dipping in the ocean and your yeah. brother is like, okay, give me three things three major additions in the last three years, your top three, and I'll give you your clothes so you can get out without shame. All right. I think open sourcing Grok. Mm. Don't think I had done that when I spoke to you. That's a big one. The whole addition of real-time collaboration to the studio. Oh, yeah. There was some of it when we spoke, but now there's a lot of it. And... I think, oh, this it's, this is hard, but I think Santa UI is going to be super interesting. And these so, are the components that you were talking about. Yeah. Nice. I can see that having something like that would allow you to stand up a whole lot of really interesting things really quickly. You know? Yeah, we, we refactored the whole project management interface. Mm. It was pretty crappy when we spoke. In almost no time, they used Santa UI to just rebuild the whole thing instead of Next, actually. But but yeah, that, that was proof for us that this is, this is sensible. Well, that is the grand irony of software development and it's been the case ever since I can remember is that essentially in software development you're solving a problem but the irony is in some of these very complicated things that you're building you actually don't fully understand the problem until you have built the thing yeah. and that's why it is so common that you will then go back because you, you'll you build the thing and you're not even taking shortcuts it's not even an MVP you're building the thing but you really don't fully understand the problem until you've built it so then you, you're like okay we're going to go back now that we know what the actual problem is now we can go back and rebuild it and that's why there's this endless cycle of, of rebuilding stuff now that I have my close back can I, can I, can I speak to you about Grok Powered Webhooks do it let's hear it yeah. you know when people come on talk shows because they have a movie this this is kind of like that situation right, right. because we just released it yeah do your plug do your plug <laughs> so do you know webhooks yep so webhooks are essentially a way that you can tie a variety of services together so if something happens yeah. somewhere you ping something else so it can do something yeah some call them http callbacks so it's basically when something happens in your system there should be a request going somewhere so i've also heard them called rsns really stupid notifications you know just say <laughs> yeah a way to all right you know. that's fair <laughs> yeah, I, but uh 
uh, in a denigrating way. Webhooks are yeah. actually awesome because they allow they you. There are services that are proliferating the internet now that do a wide variety of things, and webhooks are a simple way that you can tie these things all together. And instead of writing everything yourself, you just have this nice, simple way to interconnect all of them. Yeah, exactly. And um, we always had webhooks, but those we had were pretty basic. It just right. gave you a list of the IDs of the documents that had changed, and then you had to go fetch them and all of that stuff. But now we build that from the ground up. Mm. Now you can use a Grok expression to decide exactly when a webhook should fire. And you can even use Grok to compare the document before and after the change happened. And you can use Grok to project the data payload that the webhook should have. Oh, interesting. Way. Interesting. And you can also customize the HTTP method and add headers and all of that stuff. And you have secrets and, and so on and so forth. So you kind of have Kind of rock like, middleware that will sit yeah. in between. Oh, interesting. And that's super interesting because that means if you're on the Jamstack, if you have a static site on Netlify and something changes in your API, you need to trigger a rebuild, right? Mm -hmm. You need to build the site up again. Now you can say that, okay, when post, like when a document of the type post or product has changed, then you can tell Netlify to trigger a rebuild. Mm. If anything else changes, forget about it. Or you can say, if maybe not the best example again, but since you can compare the document before and after the change, you can say, if the price of the product decreased, then you should go and fire the webhook. Interesting. And this also lets you lose a lot of the middle steps that you have to do before. So you can actually attach a webhook directly to Slack. And you can say, when this happens, tell Slack that this happened. And you can author the, the notification inside of Grok as well. So interesting. It's kind of like a super interesting thing. <laughs> we haven't fully understood what you can use it for yet, but I look forward to, to seeing what people are going to make of it. So two things real quick. One, we talked about Grok without saying yeah, exactly what it is. What it is yeah. Which, you know, some people may be familiar with it already, but just real quick, what is Grok? So people know what yeah. this Grok webhook layer is. So people often compare it to Headless CMS. So, you know, it's not. People often compare Grok to GraphQL. And then, as I know, it's, it's not exactly that. So what I tend to say that you can think of GraphQL as a replacement for your old trusty RESTful API pattern. Right. Grok is more like SQL. It's a query language for a data store. So it's much more versatile than GraphQL, and it doesn't require awareness of a schema because GraphQL is typed, right? It's kind of like it requires a schema. Right. Grok can take any JSON and query it. So in fact, our GraphQL API is powered by Grok. It's translated to Grok queries. And, and, and you said yeah. you open source this. So if I wanted to grab Grok and add it to my project, I could? Yeah. We even open source the parser compiler for <laughs> Grok. So if you oh, want wow. to compile your own parser, you can do that as well. So if I wanted to start yeah. up a computer, Competitor. If I wanted to start up insanity.io, I could just grab your Grok and I could start building it? Totally, yeah. And you can change it in weird ways. Interesting. Inconsistent ways, yeah. But yeah, totally. I even seen someone that replaced the whole GraphQL layer of Gatsby with Grok. Oh my goodness. So, so yeah. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, then you know it's open source, I guess. But I'm going to guess that this is very similar to React in that I don't have to know Grok to be able to do anything meaningful with Sanity. It's sort of like a, when I start to get to a certain level of things, then I might start engaging with it. Is that kind of how it is? Yeah. So you, if you know GraphQL, you can, of course, use that. But I would say you don't need to, but it certainly helps. And it, it's easy to, I don't like the word easy when it comes to technical uh, stuff and development, but it is kind of easy to get going because it has it only consists of three parts you have the star that represents represents your whole content lake and then you have some square brackets that is a filter 
So you filter in the documents you want. And then we have the curly brackets or whatever you call them, which is the projection where you shape the data you want out of the result. We have a bunch of videos on it. You will be up and going with meaningful Grok queries within the hour, I think. That, Are you that's guaranteeing that? Is that the Knut if, if, guarantee? If you, that's a Knut guarantee. If you're not, come to our Slack community and DM me and I will give you a personal introduction to Grok. <laughs> An artisanal introduction. That's great. So... You mentioned before about how these Grok web filters can help in a situation, for instance, if you're using a Jamstack. I just want to reiterate that you do not have to adopt a Jamstack approach no. to be using Sanity, right? You could, not at all. You could use anything you wanted yeah. to pull the data in and render it. And you could even be using serverless pre-render from Vercel, where you actually have an app that is, is running. So you don't have to build a site that is going to regenerate the entire site every time, right? No, not at all. Back in the days, we used to have a Next application that run on an express server that yeah. made uh, made the API calls whenever right. someone requested some some content. And first and of all, when you say back it. in the day and you talk <laughs> about Next, I mean, come, come on, you know, Next is not that old. It's, you, we're not talking about. You I know. got hold of the beta of Sanity in May 2017, yeah. and the first thing I did was to build a site with that and Next.js. But that's it, only yeah. four years, man. That's not back in the day. Come on, that's that's 50 years in startup time. All right, yeah, fair enough. It is. <laughs> So I would imagine there are a couple other features I wanted to make sure that we cover because something that is also important to a content author and and workflow situation is not just the diff that you're talking about and being able to see the changes, which I think is fantastic, but also being able to write drafts of something. Is that a thing that you have built into Sanity? Yeah, there's there's a draft system. It's one of those decisions that kind of like, oh, we should have done that differently maybe because Mm. how it basically works is that it makes a copy of your document and prepends the ID with drafts. And then we have a whole bunch of uh, logic in the studio to reason about it. And it, it works fairly well but it could have been better and it makes some interesting problems because what we are working on now, I think Croft already has this, so it's not that impressive, but create re- references in place, right? When you have connected content, when you can right. make reference between documents, right. it, you kind of want to make be able to make a new document of the document you want to reference within right. the same editorial context, right? So yeah. we are making that. And that shows proves to be complex when you yeah, have that, Groft. That's Project Xanadu level stuff. I don't know if you've yeah. ever heard of that, but if you haven't, Google Project Xanadu. That's uh, that, So that, that's I've not seen a... some pretty impressive flowcharts from, yeah. from the engineering, but they have cracked it. So they are making the, the interface for it now. And I think it will be fairly cool. So, yeah. And that now, because you're working with large multinationals like Unilever, yeah. I would assume that localization is a thing? Yeah, it is. And like localization and internalization, that is a hard problem. Yeah, it is. That is just hard. We have tried to look at it as this. It's it's kind of like a concern of the content model, really. Mm. And there's no one way to it. Some of our customers, they do a document, most a document level localization thing. Mm-hmm. Some of them do a field level localization thing, and some of them both. And some of them even do a data set yep. version. And I have, and we have integrations with SmartLink and Transfax, these translation services and so on. And it's not a huge engineering feat to also set up synchronization scripts between things and so on. 
if you want to float content back and forth and so on. So but, walk but, yeah. me through it. Maybe this will help. So let's say <laughs> I'm defining my content model in yeah. Sanity. So I'm creating, I'm doing a mustache or an antler or a curly bracket or whatever you want to call this thing. And I'm putting some key value pairs in there. They're yeah. defining my fields. Site is up and running. The client loves it. Everything is fantastic. And then we did such a good job making oh, this yeah. website that they're expanding into new markets and new territories. Yeah. And they say, look, we need to now have this in German. I'm sorry. Yeah. We, we need to have this in Norwegian. I'm very sorry. Oh. That's what we need to have it in. How do I, what changes would I have to make to this little simple object that I made to then allow it to accept an additional language? How does that work? And what does it look like in the CP? Or sorry, in the studio? Thank you. Yeah, so now we have to do a bit of Neo in the matrix style imagination of JSON documents. So you have this key value thing. You have simple key values now. Yep. If we are going for field translations, you want to translate those into nested field values under language key, for example. So you have EN and NO. Uh, so it would become an work. array of objects, whereas before it was just an object. Yeah, or an ob- like or a nested object. So okay, it can yeah. be a yeah, whatever. Yeah, you can do both, I guess. Same thing. Yeah, so it's not that hard to translate the form into that shape, but then you have the data. And since we can assume that this is fairly from A to B thing, it's a matter of writing that script that takes the one shape and makes it into the other shape. And you can run this this migration live on the content lake, or you can just copy the data set and do the migration and put that into production once you're ready. And I could also probably, as a developer, it sounds like my job would be to go in there, edit the content models, add the appropriate sub-objects, you know, English, here's this, you know, Spanish, yeah. this, et cetera, et cetera. But it could potentially be someone else's problem to do the content migration, maybe? Or is that still my problem? It's, it's mostly, it's probably your problem, ah. but hopefully we made it not that hard. It's it's right. not like you have to, oh, I have to go into the join table and thing. It's it's JSON object. Right. So it's migrations are like sucks anyways, but it's it sucks the least when it's in this format. And I don't want to spend too much time on this relatively obscure case. Or maybe it's not that obscure, <laughs> it's actually. Not, it's, re- it, it's a very real case. Yeah, it, it depends yeah. on where you are. But let, let's say there are certain yeah. certain fields that I always want them in English, but if there is a translation in a specific language, I can use that. I'm assuming that that is something that is pretty easy to do. Yeah, it, it can be a concern for the query you are doing. So you can use kind of like a coalesce thing that, mm. that falls back if there's a like not, not a value on the first field and so on. Or you can even do that in the front end code. That's up to you. But Because uh, you kind of yeah. want, sometimes you want a priority system where, yeah. okay, if they have it in Nor- Norwegian, we're going to take that. And if they don't, let's have it fall back on this English. So yeah, that's yeah. the folding part. But, but they- this is what we mean with content is data. Mm. So we try to bring database affordances to your content. So you don't have to do make all of this custom magic CMS stuff that you often have. Oh, we have to have another new method to reason about language. So yeah. And then you can right. use common patterns, common data manipulation patterns and algorithms instead. All right. So let's say I've heard all this. I'm excited. I want to try it out. Is there a way that I can just try Sanity out via a web interface or do I, what what steps do I need to do? If I'm like, all right, this sounds cool, but I want to see it for myself. Where do I go and what do I do? There are two ways to do it. One way is to go to sanity.io slash create. And there you have a point click thing where you can choose a template and front end thing and like an e-commerce or event site or something. You log into GitHub, you log into Vercel or Netlify, and it will kind of just set everything up for you, put the code in GitHub, and you have the studio hosted, and you can kind of get a feel for the editorial experience, and you can go and tweak it. And the other way that most people use is 
to run the command line. So that is npm init sanity. Mm. That will walk you through a, like a wizard. And you can choose a sample project or just a clean slate and, and get going. I know a lot of JavaScript developers, if they hear this, they're going to cringe. But I, I have a sanity setup that runs inside of a Docker container. Yeah. So when I spin it up, mm. it spins it up exactly the way they want it inside yeah. of the Docker container and, and does it that way. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. I recommend it, but that's just, yeah, it should work. Yeah. That's just my thing. That's just how I like doing stuff. Yeah, well, I can respect that. Well, Knut, it was fantastic <laughs> having you on here. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about sanity and our Thank little you. return. Am to I sanity. still in the water, by the way? You're out, man. You're out. You answered oh, those top three. Yeah. You got your clothes back. Everything's good yeah. to go. Your, your just dignity, to put them on. Your dignity is intact. <laughs> Thank you. But that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmo.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you just subscribe, tell a friend, drop us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. For the devmo.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. And thank you for coming on, Knut Melvar. Or Thanks for having me. That I can't pronounce, so pronounce your name for me. Oh, I have a sucky Twitter handle. Kmelve on Twitter. Nice. Go to the show notes. Yeah. I was trying to do is I was trying to kind of like paint yeah. a picture for someone who's first starting this thing up. Like, what are the steps and what does it look like? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I realized. I'm, and then I get excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to get excited, man. That means yeah. you're working at the right place. All I right. Think let so. me yeah. stop the recording.